1: Time for the 49ers rush podcast.
0: All right. Uh, so excited right now to have a very special guest, Ross Tucker at Ross Tucker NFL. And I know you guys all know this guy, his voice on SiriusXM XM forever played in the NFL for half of the NFC East and AFC, East, <laughs> which is pretty impressive.
2: Ross, how are you doing today, man? I'm doing great, John. Thank you so much for having me. And I, I don't think it's that impressive. You know, It's weird because I obviously was good enough that when one team would fire me, some other team thought enough of me to sign me or pick me up off waivers. But I wasn't really good enough that I stayed very long. So I I don't know. I don't know how to really take that one. I'm sort of uh, your classic tweener journeyman, I guess. Although I will say this, man, I had a lot of coaching turnover which, if you're not like a stud like Trent Williams as an offensive lineman, it, it really can affect you. Man,
0: you know it's it's interesting. Whenever I, I kind of dove into your career, and we're going to be talking about Forty hours old line, Ross Tucker, you played for a long time out of Princeton, and it's incredible. Now, before we get to that, Ross, you are one of the busiest people in sports media by a landslide. And if you haven't already checked out his stuff, please do so. Head over to RossTucker.com. He's got five separate podcasts that I know of. I'm sure he's working on more now. Whether you want regular NFL, sports betting, college draft, he's got it all. Ross, how many times do you record a day, my friend?
2: Well, it depends on time of year, but during the season, it's, it's nine. John, I never told you this story. I totally just got lucky. You know, I retired in 2000, after the 2007 season, started writing for Sports Illustrated. I think it was 2009 or 10, maybe ESPN wanted to hire me to write for them. And I said, okay, it was more money, a lot more money. It was like 10 times more money in Sports Illustrated. I was like, okay. And he said, also, do you want to host our NFL podcast? And I was like, you bet I do. I would love to. John. No idea what a podcast was. I I had no idea what a podcast was. I just knew they were going to pay me money to talk about football. So I'm hosting the ESPN Football Today podcast for three years. By the end of it, we're getting a bunch of sponsors, maybe 2011, 2012. And they're getting like 90,000 listeners an episode because it was the only game in town. You know, It was ESPN, so it's obviously a big platform. And there just weren't very many podcasts back then. So I started to think, man, I'm going to have great negotiations for my next contract because, you know, we're getting sponsors, we're growing. And I the sponsors started to talk to me and like, tell me how much they were paying. I was like, wait a minute. If you're paying that much, then I, I know what I'm getting paid. I know what the other guy's getting paid. ESPN made a lot of money off this. Turned out that ESPN, for various long story reasons, wasn't going to renew me. So I launched the Ross Tucker football podcast and immediately had a bunch of sponsors and an audience right away. Thankfully, honestly, ESPN not renewing me, probably one of the best things that ever happened in my life. And then after a year, I realized all my buddies were talking about fantasy football all the time. So I started the Fantasy Feast podcast. And then I noticed that a bunch of my buddies didn't really talk about fantasy. They just talked about betting. So I started the Even Money Betting podcast. Then a couple of years later, uh, Andrew Brandt started the business of sports on my network. And love that show. I started the college draft podcast. So uh we have 10 a week during this season, and I re- record nine because Ross Tucker Football Podcast is daily during the season, three right. times a week here in the offseason.
0: Man, I I love it. And one of the things that stands out is somebody that's been in the league the positivity that you still approach everything with. You never got tainted in like the negatives and all that stuff. And it's a a good
2: thing, John. It's a good thing. I'm the one hosting the show (laughs) and not my wife. Oh, there you go. You know, she was a big football fan before my NFL experience, but Mm. it's tough, man. I mean, getting fired, getting hurt, you know, taking what I took to be able to play through some games and then getting cut anyway and just, She kind of knows how the sausage is made, and she's just not into it. She's like, man, everybody thinks it's so glamorous and great, and I know what it's really like, but I don't look at it that way. I look at it like it was an awesome temporary job in my 20s, got to live a bunch of places, got to live out my dream, and sometimes I think God just made me good enough of football so I could have all these podcasts and gigs
0: well, I think the community's better for it. So I really do appreciate what you do. And uh, Let's jump into it, man. Let's talk some 49ers old line. And I know you got a couple stories you wouldn't mind sharing as well. The 49ers offensive line situation is weird in and of itself because you got this beast, Trent Williams, who I think is one of the best players in the NFL, and then you just got a bunch of other guys with him um, as far as you know, not a lot of national kind of, you know, they're not getting a lot of attention. If you were a GM and you've been a part of a lot of different O-lines, would you rather build an O-line like the 49ers or would you rather have just a bunch of quality guys across the board and perhaps no elite guys? So, what's kind of your what would you prefer there if you were building the unit? Did you know that you can now win up to 100 times your money on prize picks with as little as 4 correct picks? You can turn $10 into a 1000
1: Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.
2: Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, One of the first things I would say, by the way, is I was kind of wrong about Trent Williams coming out. You know, I knew he was a phenomenal athlete, but I remember there being a quote from the Oklahoma Strength and Conditioning Coach. Where he said, yeah, man, if he can ever just, you know, fully devote himself to this and really put the time in, he could really be special. I remember thinking, if a guy's in college trying to get life-altering money and he wasn't fully committed, he wasn't all in, is he going to be after he makes the NFL? And the answer, I guess, is yes, because Trent's been unbelievable. But that was a real red flag for me. Um, and to answer your question, more than any other position group, and you know this, it really is a unit. It, it really is how the guys work in concert. I literally did a speaking engagement this morning, and I said, I'm not aware of another position in any other sport where more than 50% of the time, you are physically working with the person next to you, right? Mm -hmm. Whether it's run or pass, one-fifth percent of time, you're working with either the guy to the left or the guy to the right. And that's part of what makes it unique. I would also say that, in general, you're only as good, probably, as your weakest link. So I would say I'd rather have five solid guys than three below-average which is potentially maybe you could say what the Niners have inside, and two above average or two studs. The value you get... Now, Now I will say this. I think Kyle Shanahan does an unbelievable job of using Trent Williams as a weapon. And I don't think enough play callers and game planners design plays based on the unique skill set of a particular offensive lineman but the Niners absolutely do. And I think that that gives them a little bit more of a boost than what I'm about to say. But ultimately, I just don't feel like, you know, if if average is a five on a scale of a one to ten, right? The value you get of an eight, a really good player, is not nearly as much as the value you're hurt by having a two starting, does that make sense? It does. Like, it, you, it it it's all you want to have elite players, but I'd rather have five guys that are all solid than have a couple of elite and a couple of below average guys because the below average guys are are going to bite you in the butt.
0: Now let me ask you this, Ross: How much experience did you have, kind of, in the zone scheme, which wasn't really around? I don't think you played for any of the Shanahan schemes at guard, but like, it seems like Kyle kind of like. He doesn't mind inexperience. He feels like, you know, he's kind of a quote-unquote guru and can elevate people's play and make them into something special. And so the 49ers offense, they've got a lot of unproven guys, Aaron Banks, Jake Brendel stepping in at center for Alex Mack, which, you know, that hurts. Is it different if you're in a power gap scheme as opposed to this, like, Shanahan moving laterally? Can you, can you
2: disguise some of the inefficiencies of all linemen in that system? Well, if you remember... Okay. Um, There were a lot of unknown guys, no name guys in Denver in the 90s that became household names and got paid big money. You know, guys like Tom Nalen, Dan Neal, Ben Hamilton. And they weren't really heralded guys coming out, but they were perfect for that system. And Denver ended up having a pipeline of guys coming up through the practice squad. Remember Matt Lepsis? I loved Matt Lepsis. Dude, I, love I love these, these names.
0: These... It brings me back, man.
2: Dude, he was a stud. He was a stud. So um, even a guy I played with in Buffalo, Trey Teague, they, they figured out that if you get athletic, hungry guys in your system, they can learn how to function in this system. It it really is more about athleticism and technique than it is necessarily natural talent. And what I like about their interior trio right now, Aaron Banks, second year, right? He's been there for a whole year. Brendel, this is his third year. You know, he's been there a couple years. So I think if they were that concerned about center, I think they probably would have gone out and gotten somebody. And then Brunskill obviously played last year. He's played a bunch. And this will be, gosh, what, his fourth year already. So I think that they're, to your point, they're not afraid. They're not afraid to give these guys their playing time. They've seen it work in Denver. They've seen it work other places. And I think they believe that with some of the other guys they have, Jalen Moore and Burford and McKibbitt, I think they think they got enough guys that they'll end up having five that can really play well for them in their system, to your point. Right. Now, okay, uh, l- let's transition.
0: Let's let's look at the offensive line from the quarterback position. Now, you had the wonderful opportunity to protect Drew Bledsoe uh, later in his career and Chad Hutchinson. Is it, am I getting that right? Early on in his career. Chad Hutchinson, who, by the way,
2: lives in the Bay Area. Oh, I didn't know that. I did not yeah, know that. Went to Stanford, lives in the Bay Area, and I was a groomsman in Chad's wedding. Oh. Um, played uh, football and baseball at Stanford, was drafted highly in both. Uh, but yes, that was the quarterback in Dallas, for sure. So what's it like from an offensive lineman's perspective? Whenever you get a
0: younger, somewhat inexperienced starter coming in, because the Forty ers got Trey Lance coming in. 22 years old, you know, played basically 10 quarters last year. So from an offensive lineman perspective, what goes through your mind, uh, whether in the huddle or early in the season, whenever you got this young whippersnapper uh, back there calling the shots from a quarterback perspective?
2: You know, um, it's interesting. It really depends on the young man. Yeah, It it really depends on the guy. Um, I can tell you in like 2004 with Buffalo, we were pretty good. We should have made the playoffs and they had drafted JP Lossman late in the first round that year. And then what ended up happening was they, they, I think they cut Bledsoe or they trade him to Dallas. And we went with JP Lossman the next year and we had seen enough from him in his one year. And just Ooh. the way he conducted himself to know that, that that wasn't going to be real good. Um, so that was unfortunate, very unfortunate. So I think, I think it sounds good what you're hearing the guys say from Trey Lance, but also like, what are they going to say? You know, yeah. if you interviewed me in, in Buffalo, when they cut bloods or goes his lot, I'd be like, he's looking great. He's fast. He's got a strong arm. Meanwhile, like if I if I could be honest, I'd be like, yeah, we're, we're in trouble. This kid's kind of a <laughs> punk. I don't, I don't think he's going to be very good, but I, I play football here in Buffalo for money, so what do you want me to say? So, okay, well, l- let's play with that then, because there's a small kind of
0: faction of 49ers faithful um, that are all in on Jimmy Garoppolo no matter what and that you know they're going to be fighting for Jimmy Garoppolo even after he's off the team which i think is probably going to happen you know you have both John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan talking about trading him so how how do players handle this quarterback the words to the media are one thing but in the locker room whenever you're transitioning from a quarterback maybe you loved to a quarterback you don't think has it are there conversations that take place
2: well you are intimating that the Niners don't that some of the Niners don't think Trey Lance has it. I think the fan there's a small portion of the
0: fan base that's pretty sold on that. I think Kyle Shanahan is head over heels for Trey Lance personally, but I want to kind of entertain this idea just to see where it goes from a player's perspective that's inside the locker room because it's different than what we get outside.
2: Well, I'll t- I'll give an example. Um, after the Bills cut Bledsoe, this is 2005 man, so this is before social media. I called two other starting offensive linemen and they were furious. The one made it very clear. He wasn't going to attend any of the offseason program. The other couldn't believe it. You know, we had won. Uh, we had won nine of our last 11 games in Buffalo. We had played really well and we were very excited about the next year. And then they do that, and you know it's going to be a step back. You know it's going to be a step back. So I think what really matters is whether or not the Niners players think it's definitely going to be a step back, or if they feel good enough about Trey to feel like, you know what? He's got the ability, man. By the end of the year, we could be dangerous. Uh, Because I, I think that's a big difference. A really, really big difference that I can't answer how those guys feel. I think because he was drafted so high, because he played a little bit last year, you know, it's not like this was an abrupt, surprising change like we had in Buffalo. This is one that the guys have already sort of mentally been preparing for. And Lance was drafted so high that I don't think they feel that way. But if they do, it's not good. I mean, it's not good at all. Right.
0: Okay, here we go. Uh, Let's transition back to Trent Williams. And then I want to get a couple questions about some of your uh, playing days against the 49ers. Where do you think Trent Williams ranks among offensive tackles in today's NFL? Obviously, back-to-back All-Pro years. Um is there somebody that stands out to you as perhaps a better player currently? Or do you think he's at the top of the list?
2: Um, I think he's at the top of the list. I think he had an unbelievable year. And I think it's crazy that he can still do the things that he does at his age. I mean, he he's going to be 34 when the season starts. He was 33 last year. And I can just tell you, John, I only played till I was 28. Hmm. But for me, and maybe this is because I had the back surgery or whatever, but there was a noticeable difference between how I felt at 22, 23, 24, and even how I felt at 27, 28. And I can remember even when I lost weight, and was just a regular human being at age 31, 32. I remember thinking, man, I don't know how those guys are still playing. It's a young man's game. So for him to be able to do, you know what he's done? He's always been a tremendous athlete. What he has done is he has really almost perfected his technique. Hmm. He has the reason why he's a Hall of Fame caliber player is because he has elite athleticism but he also found a way to become an elite technician i was neither which is a bad place to be (laughs) um but that that's what his combo of still being a really good athlete but then knowing so many of the tricks like the snatch and the things to do the slingshot and it's just really impressive to watch
0: yeah, it, it, I love watching his tape just because it's like a D lineman sometimes with what how he clubs like the back shoulder plate yep. and like face plants
2: the, te- uh, the defensive lineman. Yes. Like, where, that's new.
0: Like, what is that? That's
2: a WWE that's the kind of move. stuff you got to do, though. Like, you got to yeah. use their momentum against themselves.
0: Absolutely. Oh, I love it, man. All right, so here we go, Ross. You played against the 49ers. Yeah. Um, who are some of the, are there any games or players that kind of stood out that the listeners that are diehard faithful and whatever stories that perhaps they'd want to hear about any of your games against the 49ers or people that eventually went on to play for the 49ers that stand out to you?
2: Yeah. Three, three games come to mind right, now, right away. That I started against the 49ers. Oh, two of them the same year for two different teams. So 2002, We played the first preseason game in Osaka, Japan. I was starting at right guard for Washington against the Niners. And it was only my second year in the NFL. And I was starting. It was on ESPN or whatever. Spurrier was our coach. And I was playing against Bryant Young. Oh, man. B-Y. So good, dude. (laughs) So good. And... He only played one series. Thank God. <laughs> I'll never forget this, okay? I start the game. I'm playing against him, and he gets a good pass rush against me. Probably, I probably give up a pressure, but I stayed I stay in front of him. By the time the second quarter started, John, I'm out there on the field. I look over. B.Y. is on the sideline in street clothes. He already showered. He already showered. I was like, how did that happen? And I played like the whole game because I was young and they were they put me at right guard, then at left guard. I needed the experience. But that's what I remember from that game is we won by a lot. Spurrier thought it was like a real game, I guess. I don't oh, know. We, we, we were like running up the score. It's his old um, team, man. But I do remember I made a tackle. Uh, either Shane Matthews or Danny Werfel threw a pick. And I ran all the way across the field. I don't remember who it was. And made a tackle. And Sprayer highlighted that. Because it would have been a touchdown. Uh, You know, if I don't make that tackle, it would have been a touchdown. Sprayer highlighted that, which was awesome. (laughs) Later that year, the Redskins at the time, they cut me. And I get claimed on waivers by the Cowboys. Now I'm starting to left guard for the Cowboys. We beat Jacksonville. We beat. On Thanksgiving, Washington, my former team. That now we're playing nice. the Niners. And the Niners are good. You know, the Niners at the time are, are, are really good. Garcia's the quarterback, TO at receiver. We had one, two in a row. We're playing awesome. We're maybe up. Um, I want to say we were up like 10. No, nah, I want to say we were up like 13. Okay. And Niners score a touchdown. We get the ball back. We run a couple good plays. We're in Niners territory at like the 30-yard line maybe. Maybe 25. Third and one. And Bruce Coslett, our coordinator, calls like a draw. Maybe third and one and a half. And And I'd had a really good game up to this point. You know, a draw, you're supposed to like, Show pass and then run block, right? So I show pass on Dana Stubblefield. Uh-oh. And he just kind of locks me out. And as the as Emmett Smith came, throws me to the side, makes a tackle for no gain. We're up six. Fourth and one now. <laughs> we don't go for it. We kick the field goal to go up by more than seven. Billy Kundiff misses the field goal. There's like less than a minute left. Garcia comes in. Dwayne Goodrich is covering T.O. And Garcia goes, bing, bang, boom, touchdown. We lose. Dude, we're up two scores with like five minutes left. And it was, I remember being in the locker room waiting for Dave Campo to talk to us. We could hear Jerry Jones screaming at Dave Campo, screaming in a private room. And then Campo came out. It was bad. I was 23 years old. In my mind, John, I lost us the game. I lost us the game. If I made a better block on third and one, we would have gotten the first down. We could have run the clock out. And so... This is back in 2002, bro. I watched every local news station to see if they were blaming me for the loss. I I, wa- I also, I couldn't watch the tape anywhere else. So I was trying to watch and see what I did wrong. I called my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, and my parents three times each throughout the night that didn't sleep at, didn't sleep at all. You know, they don't teach you how to be 23 years old and feel like you just let down millions of people and that you're going to lose your job. It is, it's no joke, bro. So the next day I went in super early, like 4 a.m., because I was like, I can't sleep. I watched it on tape. I was like, I don't really know what I would have done differently. I I did exactly the way they wanted me to do it. It's a one-on-one block at the point of attack on Dana Subblefield, who was very good against the run. And I remember seeing Kozla the OC. I said, Coach, if we're ever in that situation again, can we call, can you call something where I can just go at him and not like fake the pass first? He's like, yeah, it was a bad call. I will. I couldn't believe it. I, I, I couldn't believe it. So, th- and then the last one I would tell you, um, 2004 Buffalo, second to last game, you guys were terrible. I mean, terrible. I don't know who the coach was, Dennis Erickson maybe. Yeah. And and we demolished you. And I remember we kept running the same play over and over again. You had a D-tackle named Tony Brown. And we ke- He kept losing his gap. We would run the same play. He was responsible for the A gap. I would chip him and go up and block Jeff Olbrick. Our center Trey Teague would would reach Tony Brown and then there was a hole. There was a hole each time, and Jeff Ulbrich at the end of every play would say, "Tony," <laughs> started, like yelling at him, <laughs> and then we would run the same play. And the same thing would happen. Tony Brown oh. just killed his gap. We murdered you guys, and it was awesome because that was like our seventh win in a row or something crazy, and um flew back. And that was the year you guys, I think, were the worst team in the NFL. Like, I think that's how you had Alex Smith. You got the yep. number one overall pick. I remember being it was I started at Candlestick Park, and there was like nobody there. I mean, it was it was kind of ugly. So those are my three starts, I think, against the Niners, uh, which are always fun, man. It's just like a I mean, the Niners, just awesome uniform. You know, I grew up Joe Montana like everybody else. So to start against the Niners was always pretty cool.
0: Dude, Ross, this is incredible and such an awesome peek behind the curtain because we don't get this a lot. You know what I mean? Knowing what the players go through and the mindset before and after the game. And man, I cannot say thank you enough. This is all, we're gonna have to have you back, man. This is too good. This is too anytime, good.
2: time man. Look, I didn't realize when you came on the Fantasy Feast podcast, I didn't realize you're like a big YouTube star. So, uh, well, anytime, we don't go that far. I, I, need, I need more <laughs> YouTube subscribers. YouTube.com/slash Ross And you you gotta teach me how to get more YouTube subscribers and I'll come on.
0: Hey, I love it, man. Guys, go support this man. One, just the positivity that he go through and share these stories. If we're about anything here at 49ers Rush, it's positivity, it's community, it's building education so people can understand and enjoy the game more. Ross absolutely incredible my friend I, i'm cutting this up into like 20 clips i'm just gonna let you know <laughs> i'm gonna tag you like a crazy person the next couple of days at ross tucker nfl on twitter and just ross tucker everything head over there support him. ross thank you so much for your time anything before we jump off my friend
2: no that's it john i appreciate you having me you're killing it i saw one of the comments at the bottom of the screen that they like the Cowboys story there they, dude i i can even tell you more stories Okay, I'm telling you one more quick one. All, All right, let's right, go, let's one. go. So that game, I'm not going to say the name of the player. I don't want to embarrass him. But that game in 04, like late December, second to last game, the Niners did fireworks before the game. But it was pretty like foggy, you know, like Candlestick Park and whatever. We had a guy, okay, on our team who didn't really like to play football that much. And we got the ball first. And all of a sudden, he won't get off the bench. He's like, oh, oh, my eyes. The fireworks. Oh, my eyes. Like, I can't see. And we're like, what are you talking about? The trainers hand him his helmet, and they're like, you'll be okay, Mike. It's better out there on the field. Oh, I said his name. You'll be okay. It's better out there on the (laughs) the field. Better out there. And they, like, pushed him out the field. But this guy was trying to not go out there. Because they, oh, the fireworks, the smoke, it's in my eyes. I'll never forget that that game, that game.
0: That's insanity, man. Because we think, like, we're dying. If, if the wife asked me to do anything while the game's on, I'm sorry. I'm a terrible husband in that moment, right? Like, and so to think that players are trying to get out of it. Oh man, Ross, this is awesome. This is going in the Hall of Fame category right here. Really appreciate all of your time. Go subscribe. That's gonna do it for us, Ross. A kid, thank you so much for your time, my friend.
2: Yeah, my pleasure. This was awesome, John. Anytime.